Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Claire Chandler, it's lovely to have you on It's TechTastic. So wonderful to have you here. Thank you for joining. Thanks, Christian. It's great to be here. You talk about the foundation of successful businesses. Uh, Actually, you've got a lot of topics that are great for this audience, but that's the one I really wanted to hone in on. You you just really want to know what the foundation of any successful business is, I assume. Well, yeah. I mean, it, we talk a lot about that on this show, but it's always around the technology or it's around identifying opportunity, but that, I know that's not all. So I'll just jump in and kind of give you my perspective on that. While systems are absolutely fundamental to building a successful business, running a predictable business, and then ultimately scaling it, I have found that the foundation of a successful business comes down to culture, which is largely based on, built by, and either strengthened or weakened by the beliefs, the behaviors, the attitudes, the talents of your people, in particular from the top down. This is gonna be, I'm not meaning it to be a counterpoint. Uh, so one of the most successful entrepreneurs I know, I won't share his name because it hit their stock price probably sharing this, but uh, his view was that there's almost an unlimited supply of very smart, very eager people out there. And you shouldn't worry about your culture, it's emergent. You should just hire smart people, give them hard problems and let them go. And when they fail, get rid of them. Now, this is not the culture I built. The reason that this was so stark in my mind in that uh, first conversation with them is that it's the exact opposite of what I believe. I think you have to be very careful who you let in the door. You should always look for that cultural match. And by that, I mean people that have the same desires for world outcome that you do. And therefore, the way that they're going to shape it is around the people, because that's my worldview, is it's all about helping people. We want to help people. That's why we're doing it. Even when we start a company, it's about solving problems for people. And therefore, I only want people that are high empathy, high desire to help, uh, service oriented. And that when I find people that aren't that, I should just pass immediately, even if in all other places, they check all the right boxes. And so that fundamental disconnect was with one of the most successful entrepreneurs I have ever met. And so it made me question myself. Yeah, and I love hearing stories like that, especially counterpoints, because it continues to help me clarify and dial in on the ideal clients that I love to work with and the ones that I absolutely am not the right fit for. There is certainly a good percentage of entrepreneurs and corporate level leaders out there around the world, in particular in the US where we are, <laughs> who do believe that people are interchangeable, that do believe that the best way to build a successful business is to hire rock stars and just pit them against each other because the competition will help, you know, the cream rise to the top and that they're ultimately going to solve the big problems. In some cases, I'm sure that is a recipe for success in a very narrow circumstance and situation. I actually thought you were going to be talking about Elon Musk <laughs> because what's interesting is prior to his latest 
pivot into Twitter and X and all of these sorts of things. Maybe he's on X. I'm not sure. That's a separate episode. But prior to that pivot, I would bring him up as, I, you know, sort of jokingly reference him as my spirit animal, because here is a guy who is literally the smartest person in the room who literally makes everybody else around him feel like an underachiever. This is a guy who had a very hard upbringing. He had a, an extremely contentious, toxic relationship, I believe with his father, who constantly reinforced to him that he would amount to nothing. And this is a guy whose vision and ideas and innovations are so far beyond the grasp of us mere mortals. And he constantly asks us to strive for more, right? This is the guy who invented everything from PayPal to Tesla to now SpaceX because he got tired of the pace at which, you know, that NASA was going to colonize Mars. But I bring him up because this is a guy who is brilliant, but is a horrible people leader. And so it will be interesting because he has had a string of successes. This latest venture may prove to be the outlier. We'll see. But he, you know, he has also gained a reputation for not being a very motivational leader. Yeah, uh, what you've described of him is actually the myth that he's created around himself and none of it's true. Mm, okay. Uh, he didn't invent PayPal. He was one of the early people there and he was heavily influential in building it, but it was one of the other partners that actually came up with the idea. Tesla, he took over. It was a company that had already been founded. They'd already built the first model. The Roadster was already on the road. He took it over. His superpower, he does have one, is to look at a particular situation and see a far more efficient way of doing it and then to ruthlessly go after it, which is why he's not a good people leader. He believes that everybody should put in 100 hours a week. You should be as dedicated to that worldview as he is. And, you know, it works in a couple places. It works when you're talking about automobiles because it's a lot of factory workers. It is a lot of machinery. It is in some ways that interchangeable people piece, but it doesn't work when you've got knowledge workers like at Twitter, it's all software engineers and product managers and all that. It's like you kind of need them to be motivated and yeah. driven and excited and berating them for not working 100 hours a week isn't going to give them that. That's right. So thank you for debunking the myth and I will I will stop referring to him as an inventor or an innovator and, and more so as the you know the ruthless businessman because I do I do think that's pretty darn accurate. But you're hundred percent right. You know, we are in an intellectual economy. We're not in an industrial one anymore. The knowledge worker, the intellectual property, you know, the brand of most companies is built around knowledge, not sweat equity, right? Although, of course, there's a degree to that. You know, anything ventured is is uh, worthy of hard work, but more of the value of a business now is driven by those intangible assets, not the fixed ones. Now, I think we're gonna get into where the AI piece plays a really important part of, of the go forward on that, because the, the number one role under threat is the knowledge worker when it comes to AI. And so the question I have for you on that is like, does this all of a sudden look like the factory of now is the future of AI-driven knowledge work. You know, that's that's interesting. And, and honestly, you likely know the answer to that particular question better than I do. My gut level answer to that is it's a little bit too soon to tell where that's going to fall. You know, AI has been around for far longer than we appreciate. Probably, you know, perhaps even to the, to the week. Um, but, you know, it's been around a while. You know, I can't say the word A-L-E-X-A in my house because it's in every room. 
you know, and I am somebody who embraces the technology and I can see the power of AI. I continue to be reassured by others that AI, ChatGPT, and all of these sort of apps and technology will not replace creative thought and creative expression because you still need to rely on the personalities of people behind the scenes. And I think that may be true now. I suspect pretty soon AI is going to be sophisticated enough that we will not be able to tell the difference. Some would argue in this conversation, there is no such thing as an original thought anymore anyway, right? <laughs> but yeah, it is it is going to be interesting. I think AI in its current form and in its ascending form is going to usher in a brand new economic age. I just don't know what we're going to call it yet. I hope we're not going to call it artificial. I always like to uh, challenge anybody's base assumptions on everything I can. So my contention with the knowledge worker and people is still that AI will never have intent. It'll never have desire other than the desire and intent we give it. And so there's that giving of it piece is where the human will always be. Now, does that usher in the utopian future of the Star Trek world where there's an abundance of resources and nobody ever has to work and you can go explore the stars because like, what else is there to do? Is that the future or is there some dystopian future created out of it where like there's no jobs because everything's automated and humans become effectively serfs to an AI overlord? Like the reality is it's probably neither. It's something that nobody's imagined, but I still take the view that like humans will always understand other humans' desires, needs, and wants. And a lot of what our future role in this is, is to impart that on the technology, the tools that we've created that help raise the standard of living and give us, you know, a more comfortable life than our caveman ancestors. Yeah, you know, I think something as powerful as AI and history has proven this, which side of that ledger it's ultimately going to fall down on is going to depend on who actually emerges to harness it the most effectively. You know, technology in the hands of evil or bad intentioned people will of course be used for evil purposes, right? And then the opposite is true. It's the same as who you put in front of your organization. Those who are leading an organization from the top are the ones who have the biggest impact on the culture and on the engagement and on the ultimate success and growth of a company because they have the biggest impact on the culture, right? It's the same with AI. And I don't mean to liken AI to culture by any stretch, but just from the standpoint of whoever figures out how to harness this, it's either going to become a boon or it's going to become a bomb. And we're not quite sure yet which direction that's going to go. Absolutely. So I went off the initial topic. This is a, anybody that listens to the show would know that that's pretty much every episode. It actually did illuminate some parts of that, the foundations of a successful business question, because it's still culture. Even, even if AI transforms the entire world and we're all doing different things, it still comes down to intentions. Yep. And that's part of that cultural foundation that every company has to be based on. Is that it? Is it, is it just is it just that? Is it just the culture and the people? No, any, any more than the foundation of a house is not the whole house, right? But the stability of that foundation is going to determine how long that house stays upright. The culture is certainly, I always say it's foundational. A lot of people hear that and they say, no, culture is kind of squishy. It's just sort of, it's a nice to have. And I would absolutely challenge that. I think it is so foundational. It is yeah. mission critical. And, you know, one of the other myths, you were nice enough to bust that myth about Elon Musk and sort of the mythology that he has created around himself. The myth around culture is that it bubbles up from the bottom, is that, you know, your frontline workers are the ones who determine culture. Well, if that were true, then coming back to your automotive industry example, then it's the factory workers who would determine the culture. And you might want to make a strong argument for that. But I believe, and in my experience and from my perspective, 
It's the leaders at the top who shape culture or they don't. And if they ignore it, it doesn't go away. It just sort of develops around them as a direct expression and a direct byproduct of their behavior, their beliefs, you know, what they reward, what they recognize and what they advance. I couldn't agree more. One of the things that I had to coach some of the uh, leaders I've developed in other companies in the past is that they are always sending unintended signals, even if it's just in there, hey, I got on Slack on Saturday at 2 p.m. and you weren't available. They might not say that out loud, but they'll be frustrated by that. And it's like, do you actually want everybody to be always working or do you believe that there's value in them being able to have a family and a life outside of here? If we're about the people, aren't we about, you know, giving them the best life? And isn't the job just part of that? Shouldn't they have something outside of it? And like, as you walk through everything you do with your teams, it's all signaling, whether it's who you gave the raise to, who gets the praise in front of everybody else, or something as simple as the way that you sent an email and what you said in it. There's also the impact of your role and the relationship to their role. Your boss being more formal with you is scary compared to them being informal with you, even if That's they're right. saying the same thing. That's right. You know, it's it's interesting just on your point about do you really want a culture or an organization or a working environment where people are expected to be accessible and working 24-7 or, you know, 100 hours a week or what have you. The reason that most organizations have finally understood that people deserve vacation and they deserve time off and they deserve weekends or whatever that downtime is, is because it creates capacity. Your employees are no good to you burnt out. And let me bust that myth for anyone in your audience who does believe that talent is interchangeable. Talent is not an inexhaustible resource. There are ways that you can make talent limitless in terms of identifying what your employees' natural talents and strengths are and put them into positions where they play to those strengths. But it's not an inexhaustible resource. And I liken that to AI. I work a lot with larger organizations. In particular, I tend to partner with and mentor HR teams within those organizations. And as a species, they tend to fear new technology. They tend to fear AI. In every conversation, you know, if, if I bring my, so we have my Otter Pilot on here, kind of transcribing the background so I can stay fully present in the conversation. And they always kind of joke and say, oh, AI, I should really check out this chat GPT at some point. And I know they're not going to because they don't know, you know, what its power is. They just fear what the power could be. But AI creates capacity, just like any other system, right? Because it enables us and it especially enables an HR organization to maybe not automate to a great extent, but simplify a lot of what they are churning and burning on so that they can actually focus on the things that they complain they have no bandwidth or time or capacity to focus on, which is being a strategic partner and enabler of the business. Yeah, HR is such a tough one in most organizations too, especially in a very large organization, yep. uh, because they're both talked up and really truly undervalued. And they're also responsible for two opposing views. One is to protect the employee against the abuses of the company, potentially, like make sure you're holding bad leaders accountable and, and that and identifying it. And the other is to protect the company, to make sure that bad actors in whatever form. And usually that what that takes the form of is somebody makes a complaint and they're finding a way to solve the complaint. And it's very rarely to the benefit of who you would hope it would be. No, I love it. They're they're not well understood or well valued in most large organizations and they become 
the point of failure that everybody else can point to. We, we hired the wrong people, the, the, we got the wrong processes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're just not doing all the right things. Which is the exact opposite of what they were hoping for, right? Right. Because by not embracing new technologies or new systems or more efficient ways to get their more tactical side of their jobs done, they think that they have more job security. It's the same conversation when I go into organizations that are contemplating going to a shared services model where they're going to mm. centralize the more transactional level of HR work. Yeah. And every single organization has the same pushback. Well, if I do that, then you're not going to need me. And the answer to that is actually not that. That's not the intent. The intent is to, again, create capacity because there are these higher level things that the businesses that are future facing and future leaning need from their HR partners that currently they are not resourced or capable or have the capacity to deliver. And so if they were to embrace AI, if they were to embrace new technologies and they were to leverage those and actually lean in, they would find that their world doesn't get smaller, it gets a whole lot bigger. That is a great message. So we're, we're down to just a couple minutes left in our time, but I wanted to give you a chance to like, if people are interested in this conversation, they want to know more, they want to get more information, where should they go? Uh, so the easiest place to go to find me is clairechandler.net. That is more of my personal branded site, but it really kind of gives people a bit more of my quirky personality and kind of how I got to where I am in my entrepreneurial journey. My company site is talentboost.net. We're recording this in September. It is actually my 10 year business anniversary this month. So I'm super excited about that. Congratulations on that, it's a big you. deal. Thank you very much. And as far as social media, LinkedIn is really kind of where I hang out the most. So I'd encourage anybody in your audience to go connect with me there and say hello. So I believe you have a free one page growth on purpose roadmap there as well. Yeah, so Growth on Purpose, it is a one-page roadmap or framework that kind of takes the best of all of my best practices and my methodology for taking organizations through a very standard, somewhat systematized, but highly personalized experience to help them to grow in a more sustainable way by harnessing the best of their talent. So folks in your audience who want to download that for free can go to clairechandler.net slash roadmap. Fantastic. Claire, it was lovely to have you on the show. I really appreciate you coming and joining me. Fascinating topic. And I hope that I can have you on again someday in the near future. Let's do it. I would love to. Thanks so much for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.